Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? Yes, even that one. That's better. My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater, and this midnight I will tell you the tale of the Grey Ghost. When you think of a ghost ship, you might think of the legend of the Flying Dutchman. First mentioned in the 18th century, the Flying Dutchman is a ghost ship, cursed to never reach the land and is doomed to sail the seas for all eternity. The tale goes that the spectral pirate ship, whose captain is alleged to have sold his very soul to Satan, has continued to be seen through the centuries since, traveling silently across the ocean, glowing with an unearthly light. A sighting of the Flying Dutchman is regarded by sailor superstition as an omen of certain doom. The first mention of the Flying Dutchman comes from John MacDonald's book Travels in Various Parts of Europe, published in 1790. He writes, The weather was so stormy that the sailors said they saw the Flying Dutchman. The common story is that this Dutchman came to the Cape in distress of weather and wanted to get into harbor, but could not get a pilot to conduct her and was lost and that ever since, in very bad weather, her vision appears. One very well-known sighting occurred in 1880. Prince George of Wales, England's future King George V, was on a three-year sea voyage with his elder brother, Prince Albert Victor, heir to the throne at the time, and a future Jack the Ripper suspect. We'll get to that in season two. Prince George of Wales wrote in his 1880 diary, July 11th, at 4 a.m. the Flying Dutchman crossed our bows. A strange red light, as of a phantom ship all aglow, in the midst of which light the masts, spars, and sails of a brig two hundred yards distant stood out in strong relief as she came up on the port bow, where also the officer of the watch from the bridge clearly saw her, as did the quarter-deck midshipman, who was sent forward at once to the forecastle, but on arriving there was no vestige nor any sign whatever of any material ship to be seen, either near or right away on the horizon, the night being clear and the sea calm. Thirteen persons altogether saw her. At 10.45 a.m., the ordinary seaman who had this morning reported the Flying Dutchman fell from the four topmast cross-trees on to the top-gallant forecastle, 
and were smashed to atoms. When you think of the ghost ship, you also might think of the mystery of the Mary Celeste. I do. The captain of the Mary Celeste was a highly respected man named Benjamin Briggs, who was born in Massachusetts on April 24, 1835. In 1862, Briggs married his cousin Sarah Cobb, and they soon began to have children. Briggs considered retiring from the sea to spend more time with his growing family, but in the end decided to take one final voyage as captain of the newly remodeled Mary Celeste in 1872, provided his wife Sarah and his infant daughter Sophia could accompany him. The Mary Celeste was scheduled to leave the New York Harbor on November 5, 1872, but the weather was bad. A storm was coming, winds were high, and the seas were rocky. The ship finally departed two days later on November 7th. On board were Captain Benjamin Briggs, his wife Sarah, their baby Sophia, seven crew members, and their precious cargo. 1,701 barrels of poisonous, denatured alcohol safely stowed below deck. Captain Briggs wrote in a letter to his mother, Our vessel is in beautiful trim, and I hope we shall have a fine voyage. On December 4th, 1872, Captain David Morehouse came up on deck of his ship, the Dei Gratia, he noticed a ship in the distance, moving erratically across the sea towards him. As the ship drew closer to the Dei Gratia, Captain Morehouse and his crew noticed there was no one on deck. They tried to signal the mysterious ship, but their calls were met with nothing but dead silence. Then they saw the name written on the stern of the vessel. It was the Mary Celeste. The crew of the Dei Gratia boarded the Mary Celeste and stumbled into an enigma that remains unexplained to this day. The Mary Celeste was completely deserted. There was no sign of the ten human beings that had been aboard her. The sails were only partially set up and some were missing. Most of the rigging was damaged, ropes hanging over the sides of the ship like long, dead snakes. Two of the ship's hatches were wide open. The glass cover of the ship's compass was shattered. There was three and a half feet of water in the hold of the ship, and a makeshift rod to measure the depth of water was found on deck, abandoned. The last entry in the ship's log was dated November 25, 1872, nine days earlier, and placed the Mary Celeste 400 nautical miles from the spot where she was eventually found. In Captain Briggs' cabin, personal items were found scattered around the room, a sheathed sword under the bed. Other than the log, most of the ship's other important papers, along with the captain's navigational equipment, was gone. The ship's single lifeboat was missing. What happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste? 
Over the years, many natural and supernatural explanations have been presented. Some think the ship may have encountered a water spout, which would explain the water in the ship and the poor condition of the sails and rigging. Others say that the cargo of denatured alcohol may have started emitting fumes, leading the crew to fear it was in danger of exploding. We'll never know what, but it seems certain something terrified the crew enough that they abandoned the Mary Celeste in the lifeboat. Based on the missing rope on deck, many speculate the crew tied the lifeboat to the ship with this rope, hoping that the danger would pass. If the rope wasn't tied well enough, the lifeboat and the Mary Celeste would have begun to drift away from one another, leaving the crew to tragically succumb to the elements of the sea and leave the Mary Celeste to drift into legend, a ghost ship for all time. There is another kind of ghost ship, a vessel you can actually visit and stay the night if you dare. She is reportedly the most haunted ship in the entire world, the RMS Queen Mary. Hearts will glow with admiration when our new liner leaves the key. And a name loved by the nation will give her charm and dignity. British labor gave it skill, and it's giving me a thrill. I'm happy and gay cause I'm sailing away. I booked my trip for the USA on the finest ship in the world, the Queen Mary. That song, Queen of the Sea, was written by Horatio Nichols to celebrate the maiden voyage of the RMS Queen Mary on May 27, 1936. She weighed 81,237 tons and had 12 decks. She was as tall as the Statue of Liberty's hand. When she was completed, she was the largest and fastest ship the world had ever known. The Queen Mary was built as a luxury cruise liner owned and operated by the Cunard White Star Line. Yes, that White Star Line, which also built the Titanic 24 years earlier. The state-of-the-art Queen Mary would carry three classes of passengers over the Atlantic Ocean, traveling back and forth between New York England and France, making the crossing in just four days, and sometimes even less than that. The ship was originally supposed to be named the Queen Victoria, since all the most recent Cunard White Star ships ended with the letters I.A. The owners went to then King George V, asking his permission to name their new vessel after England's greatest queen, King George V replied that he thought it was a splendid idea, and that his wife, Queen Mary, would be delighted they decided to name the ship after her. And so, the RMS Queen Mary received her royal name. On the day of the Queen Mary's launch, May 27, 1936, 
a British aristocrat and renowned psychic, Lady Mabel Fortescue Harrison gave an interview in a newspaper. She made a prediction, saying, Most of this generation will be gone, including myself, when this event occurs. However, the Queen Mary, launched today, will know its greatest fame and popularity when she never sails another mile and never carries another passenger. Lady Mabel was right. For many, the Queen Mary featured opulence and luxury that had never been seen on board a ship before, more like a small city. She had two indoor swimming pools, beauty salons, barber shops, libraries, nurseries for children of all three classes, outdoor tennis courts, air-conditioned public rooms, cocktail bars, a ballroom telephone and radio service to anywhere in the world, a post office, a cinema, a small hospital, a chapel, and the first synagogue ever built on a cruise ship, specifically created to show Britain's disdain for Germany's growing persecution of Jews. The largest room on board the Queen Mary was its main dining room, the Grand Salon, which served an ever-changing menu of the finest food and drink the world had to offer. It was three stories tall, supported by large columns, and could seat up to 800 passengers at one time. The main dining room was dominated by a large map of the transatlantic crossing. During each voyage, a motorized crystal model of the Queen Mary would show its current progress on their incredible journey. The most distinguished guests and celebrities on board would be invited to dine at the captain's table. The ship's first captain, Sir Edgar Britton, would not eat in the dining room unless the model was working perfectly. Up on the sun deck, there was another, more exclusive fine dining restaurant called the Veranda Grill. It could, it could accommodate 80 passengers, and at night it transformed into the Starlight Club, where the elite could dance to live music played by the Queen Mary's own orchestra and band. The ship was paneled with rare exquisite woods from all over the world and decorated with beautiful paintings and sculptures. She was, and is, a stunning Art Deco masterpiece. On the second day of her maiden voyage, the Queen Mary found herself enveloped in a dense fog. Captain Britain realized they were about to sail by the exact spot where the RMS Titanic had sunk in 1912, 24 years earlier. Captain Britain ordered the Queen Mary to slow down. As they reached the exact site where over 1,500 people tragically went to a watery grave, 
crew members threw roses into the sea in remembrance of all the lives lost there forever. On October 28, 1936, Captain Sir Edward Britton was found unconscious on the floor of his cabin. He'd had a stroke and died shortly thereafter at the age of 62. He was scheduled to retire the following April. The Queen Mary was meant to be the swan song of an illustrious career. Instead, Edgar Britton became the first person to die on board the ship. After him, 48 more people would breathe their last on the Queen Mary, and many more human beings would die because of her. That is one of the reasons why she is so haunted. When World War II broke out, the Queen Mary was requisitioned by the British and American governments to serve as a troop ship because of her immense size. The Queen Mary then underwent a transformation. She was painted navy gray from stem to stern, Stateroom furniture was removed, and all accommodations on board became wooden bunks. Six miles of carpet, 220 cases of china, crystal, silverware, tapestries, and paintings were removed and stored in New York warehouses until the war would end. Her beautiful wooden paneling was covered with leather. Because of her new paint color, her size, and the speed and silence with which she traveled across the sea, the Queen Mary received a new name, the Grey Ghost. She zigzagged across the ocean during the war, never traveling the same route twice. Winston Churchill was a frequent passenger. She still to this day holds the record for the most people ever on board a single vessel at one time, 16,683 souls. Her speed and erratic movements made it impossible for the Nazi U-boats to ever capture her. Adolf Hitler even offered a reward of $250,000 to any submarine crew that could sink her. The reward was never claimed. On October 2nd, 1942, there was an unspeakable tragedy. The Queen Mary accidentally collided with one of its escort ships, the much, much smaller HMS Curacoa, slicing it in half and sending the vessel to the bottom of the sea. Crew member Alfred Johnson later recalled, I said to my mate, I'm sure we're going to hit her. And sure enough, the Queen Mary sliced the cruiser in two like a piece of butter, straight through the six-inch armored plating. The Queen Mary had orders never to stop or even slow down. Instead, she signaled for help and the crew members threw any large piece of wood they could find to serve as flotation devices for the Curacoa crew members now in the cold sea. Ninety-nine people who had been aboard the Curacoa were rescued. 
338 people died in the disaster, and many of their bodies were never recovered. The Queen Mary received barely a scratch from the terrible collision. This is another incident which caused ghostly echoes in the years to come. In July of 1943, on the same voyage mentioned earlier where the Queen Mary had a record 16,683 passengers, she was hit by an enormous rogue wave that was estimated to be 92 feet tall. The ship rolled to a 52-degree angle before finally righting itself. It was later discovered that if she had rolled only an additional three degrees, the Queen Mary would have capsized and thousands would have died. This incident later inspired the Oscar-winning movie The Poseidon Adventure, part of which was filmed aboard the Queen Mary itself in 1972. As World War II ended in Allied victory, the Queen Mary emerged from the conflict completely unscathed. It is generally accepted by historians that without her immense aid and service, the war would have lasted much longer than it did. She was restored back to her former luxurious glory and returned to service as a cruise ship in 1947. Celebrity passengers included Gloria Swanson, Clark Gable, Bob Hope, Fred Astaire, Bing Crosby, Elizabeth Taylor, Laurel and Hardy, Greta Garbo, Audrey Hepburn, Desi Arnaz, Winston Churchill, King Edward VII and Duchess of Windsor Wallace Simpson, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, Robert Kennedy, and Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, and Queen Elizabeth II. However, by 1965, air travel had largely replaced travel by sea as the first choice of the rich and famous. The Cunard Line decided to retire all their ships and sold the Queen Mary to the United States. She would become permanently docked in Long Beach, California, and remodeled to serve as a hotel and museum. The Queen Mary embarked on her final voyage to California on October 31, 1967. Halloween. She arrived in Long Beach on December 9, 1967, and she has been there ever since. As soon as the remodeled Queen Mary was open to the public, people who worked on and visited the vessel began to whisper that she was filled with ghosts. Some of the most frightening paranormal activity aboard the Queen Mary has been reported deep in the bowels of the ship in an area known as Shaft Alley. Upon docking in Long Beach, one of the first people to work on remodeling the ship was a marine engineer named John Smith. He spent many hours in the dark, narrow hallways of the ship's bow, and he began to hear unearthly sounds where there should only have been silence. He said in 1988, I could hear the sound of metal tearing, water rushing. 
and then men screaming. It sounded like there had been a rupture of the ship's hull. It was frightful. I went up to the extreme bow section of the ship. The sound was there, but there was no water and nothing to cause it. I don't believe in supernatural things, but in all my experiences as a marine engineer, I'd never seen anything like this. I was so shook up and so overwhelmed. The very area where I heard that mysterious water rushing was the exact same area that was damaged when the ship hit the Curacao. I said, this is what it would have sounded and felt like if I had been in that compartment at the time. But I knew it couldn't be. The 1943 tragedy of the HMS Curacao seems to have left a ghostly imprint on the Queen Mary, and those same sounds are still heard to this day. They have never been explained. Another specter-haunting Shaft Alley is the ghost of a man named John Pedder, who was killed there in 1966. There was a routine fire drill, which immediately caused the heavy hatchways to close, making them airtight. John Petter did not make it out in time. His body was later found crushed in half by hatchway door number 13. Since then, the ghost of John Petter has often appeared in the area of door number 13, a young, bearded man with dark brown hair wearing dirty blue overalls. Sometimes he appears and asks someone, have you seen my wrench? Before vanishing. Visitors to this area of the ship have reported being touched by someone or something they couldn't see and then finding dark, greasy finger marks on their clothes or faces. A former Queen Mary tour guide named Nancy Ann was interviewed in 1988 and said, I was working in the capacity of a lead guide, which meant my job was to close down the tour route and make sure that there weren't any stragglers behind. And I don't know why I turned around, but I turned around, and standing right behind me on the step was a man. He had on blue overalls and they were dirty. When I stepped aside to let him go by, he wasn't there. He was gone. I don't necessarily believe any other ghost stories that other people have come up with. I only know what I saw, and I only believe what I saw with my own eyes. The pool areas of the ship are now empty of water and in disrepair, but they are also haunted by apparitions of past guests. Nancy Ann, who also reported seeing the ghost of John Petter, says, One day I was standing on the stairs of the pool, and out of the corner of my right eye I saw a woman, probably in her sixties or seventies, in black and white. So I went down the stairs and around the pillar, expecting to find her standing there. But she wasn't anywhere to be found. It was only a matter of seconds. She couldn't have gone anywhere. 
Another tour guide named Kathy is one of many people who have witnessed the ghost of a child in the pool area. We came into the pool and I heard giggling, the sound of a little girl playing in that area. And at that point, I noticed there was splashing. The splashing stopped, the giggling continued, and we observed the wet footprints of a small child walking across into the locker room. This child ghost has been named Jackie by the staff of the Queen Mary, often appearing to visitors as a young girl holding a teddy bear, sometimes heard to ask, Have you seen my mommy? And then she disappears. The sound of her small running footsteps and giggling laughter and childlike singing have been heard all over the ship. Some believe that she is the spirit of a little girl who drowned in the pool at some point in the Queen Mary's history, and that she now uses the vessel as her playground for all eternity. One of the staterooms, B340, was so violently haunted that it was sealed up for decades. A staff member was reported to have been brutally murdered in the room. And ever since, guests who stayed there experienced terrifying supernatural phenomena. Something knocking on the door in the middle of the night. Loud banging sounds on the walls. Lights and water faucets turning on and off by themselves. Doors slamming shut on their own. And the blankets being torn off of the bed while they slept. Some visitors reported waking up in their room and seeing a dark, shadowy, human-like form standing at the foot of their bed. You can now rent stateroom B340 for $500 a night, if you dare. Many shadow people have been reported throughout the hallways of the Queen Mary often appearing to be dressed in clothing from the 1930s and 1940s, a man wearing a fedora and possessing eerie, glowing green eyes is seen frequently, appearing next to people in the elevator or right next to them out of the corner of their eye in their rooms before suddenly vanishing. Some even believe that the ghost of Winston Churchill haunts the Queen Mary. The stateroom he always stayed in is sometimes mysteriously filled with a pungent odor of cigar smoke. Guests staying the night will often have their phones ring in the early hours of the morning, and when they answer the call, no one is there, and the line goes dead. They will wake up and hear voices whispering, phantom footsteps and objects being moved around in the darkness of their rooms, and when they turn on the light, they're all alone, and nothing has been disturbed. The ghost of a lady in white has been seen often in what is now known as the Queen's Salon. She wears an old-fashioned, floor-length white dress, Carol Layden, who worked as a server on the Queen Mary, had this encounter with the spirit. 
I'd been here about 14 years when I first had the first experience of actually seeing what I thought to be a ghost. I was in the work area, and for some reason I picked up a cup of coffee, went out to the tables, and there was a lady sitting there. I was so fascinated by her dress. She appeared to be in a late afternoon cocktail type dress from the 40s. She had dark hair, rolled at the sides, no makeup on. She seemed to be very pale, but I never saw her move. I left the table, went up about ten feet, turned around because I wanted to have another look. And there was nothing there. This spectral lady in white has also been seen dancing slowly by herself in a corner of the Queen's Salon. And sometimes, the grand piano in the main lobby will play by itself while visitors are present. There is even a permanent sign next to the piano telling a story that reads, Mysterious Piano. A woman and her daughter were visiting California and staying aboard the Queen Mary. They were meeting a friend around 1.45 a.m. and made their way to the hotel lobby on a deck. The lobby was empty. Even the front desk clerk had stepped away for a moment. The woman took a seat in the lobby and the daughter sat at the grand piano. Suddenly a simple melody could be heard coming from the piano and just as suddenly it stopped. The woman asked her daughter if she had taken up the piano recently, to which the daughter replied that she had not taken the hands out of her pockets yet. The piano played itself. Today, the Queen Mary has embraced its haunted history. In addition to regular historical tours telling the ship's amazing story, visitors can also take the Ghosts and Legends tour and also participate in paranormal investigations and even seances. From late September through the end of October, part of the Queen Mary is transformed into Dark Harbor, an immersive haunted house or haunted ship experience that has become famous in the Long Beach area. Even during the Halloween season while Dark Harbor is open, guests can still stay aboard the ship. If you ever find yourself in Long Beach, California, you might consider booking a room on the Queen Mary. You'll find yourself surrounded by history, and as the night falls and the ship begins to creak, you might find yourself suddenly in the company of the vessel's many spirits. The gray ghost is alive, and she is waiting for you. Next time we meet, we'll travel to St. Francisville, Louisiana, 
not far from the ghostly city of New Orleans, and I'll tell you tales of one of America's most haunted houses, the Myrtle's Plantation. If you enjoy the podcast, I encourage you to leave a rating and a review if the spirit moves you. You can also like Going Dark Theater on Facebook. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to episode transcripts and other spooky things I'm working on, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Josh Hitchens. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month, and all funds go towards making this podcast a reality. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now, Going Dark.